morning. Morning to those of you watching from home as well this morning. This is the third message in the gathering series introduced by that video. So for sake of context, what are we doing? These chapters, chapters 11 through 14, this longer study we've been doing in the book of 1 Corinthians, is really about the worship experience in a manner of speaking. We're looking into, kind of looking over history and over the you know, bird's eye view of a worship experience. What was it like to worship in this church? Now one thing that's interesting about this is it's a new church plant. We've talked about that. In other words, this church, as far as we know, um, for the, the Corinthian church, when Paul's writing these letters, is about five years old. Okay, So we're getting to look at a church. What is it like? How are they understanding the gospel in many areas of the Christian life? But in this case, in the worship experience, chapters 11 through 14, what was it like for a church that's only five years old? But more than that, it wasn't just a church that's five years old. It wasn't just a new church plant. It, the church itself was brand new. In other words, all churches, you know, more or less were five years old. So we're getting to take a look at what the church looked like when it first started. Out of what before it existed, now through the gospel, the resurrection of Jesus, this new organization, this new organism, this new reality. People, Jesus rose from the dead. Christ in you, the hope of glory, people come together. This is a brand new reality, which is why, and maybe this is helpful in reading this letter and the other one, the other letters, there's so many problems that you see happening here. A lot of this book is about problems because it's a brand new reality. They're trying to figure out how to do life, how to be a, how to be a new kind of community. People that didn't used to hang out with each other, didn't used to go to the same places together, didn't come from the same backgrounds. Now they're together trying to be a community, even be a family in a way that they had never been before. The gospel, I think I've said this since we started this series that is the study of this book back last fall, the gospel changes everything, okay? You and I come to know Christ as the, our Savior. We, we don't really even know what we're getting into, you know? Maybe you say this about, I don't know, some big things in life like marriage or, you know, some kind of career or having a child. You might say, I never really knew what I was getting into, Right? In a manner of speaking. I mean, that's funny, but it's also true. You don't real well, when it comes to know Christ as your Savior, if God comes into your life, kisses you awake, you're born again. The Bible uses those terms. You don't really know what you're getting into. You don't know what God has planned for you. It's it's a everything, the gospel changes everything. However, many of you would say, and amen to this, it takes time in the life of the Christian to catch up to what God has done. In fact, it takes your whole life. It takes time in the life of a church to catch up to what God has done. And this is repeated, by the way, for 2,000 years. With every person that becomes a Christian, they're starting something all over again. And every church, even ones that have started, you know, thousands of years later from the resurrection of Jesus. The gospel changes everything but it takes time, which is why we can learn so much, I hope, from looking at this particular example of this worshiping community here in this book. Now, if you heard last Sunday, Pete started this chapter talking about spiritual gifts. We're going to continue that conversation 
in the next two Sundays, this Sunday and next Sunday, where Pete talked about the gifts, the overarching topic of the next two Sundays, including this one, is about the conflict that the gifts, spiritual gifts, created in the life of the community. Why is that? Uh, you know, if, if the gifts are good and they're great and God is giving spiritual gifts, not necessarily talents, it's beyond sort of natural talents, true spiritual gifts given by the Spirit of God, we'll see that in a minute, given into our lives that, that you didn't have before, why does that cause conflict? Well, think of this as an analogy. Imagine you're a poor family and you have this immediate influx of a lot of cash. I don't know, an inheritance, you win the lottery. It's a blessing, it's wonderful. Let's throw a party. But also, it's, it's a source of some problems, right? Because everybody, you know, how do you deal with all this money? How are you gonna spend this money? People want this from you, people want that from you. Do you are you gonna blow it, right? So the gifts are, are a blessing, but the gifts cause conflict. And the Apostle Paul wants to place this conflict, right, that's caused by the spiritual gifts in this community, a new reality within the larger framework of his vision for a unified church, okay? He wants to talk about the gifts. He wants to talk about this beautiful blessing, this manna from heaven, spiritual gifts, in the context, the conflict that it caused, in the context of his goal for them to use their gifts in a unified church. Now, why was there conflict, do you suppose? Well, like all churches, including this one, what happens is people come into the church. It's a wonderful thing. The gospel changes everything. They've been given spiritual gifts. But they bring, they import with them the culture from the outside of the church, you see? Why do they do that? Because the culture outside of the church is in you. So the value system that's outside of the church, the value system that's pulsing through your mind and heart and my mind and heart, we come into this new reality called the church. God is doing, the gospel changes everything. I've been given new gifts, but those value system is still there. Okay? That's the conflict, and you'll see it in this passage. The body of Christ. Let's take a look at the, what the Bible has to say. The body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12. We'll read just two verses to start this conversation. Verses 12 and 13 where we left off last Sunday. Apostle Paul. Just as a body, the one, right, this is an analogy, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Right? Now, in this just first verse, I read two verses, the Apostle Paul is going to, an unexpected word appears here, if you're, if you're reading carefully, that's supposed to throw you off. And what it is, verse 1, let me read it again. Just as a body, though one, simple analogy, the human body, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with, you expect him to say, the church. Okay? Because that's what he's been talking about. He's saying, listen, although the, just like the body has many parts, but it has also one, it all works together. You know, the body's supposed to work together. 
He's saying, so it is. You expect him to say, if you've been following this discussion, the church. But instead, he says, so it is with Christ. Okay? And I would say to you, in this one unexpected word, he introduces an idea. He's being very thoughtful here. He's introducing a theological idea that all other theological ideas, all other truths find uh, their roots in. And it's called the body of Christ. Okay? Now you and I, if you've been church while, you've heard those terms, but what do they mean? The body of Christ. This is an image. It's a metaphor. Okay? He's doing the best. This is language. We're trying to understand something. It's okay. It's, a, it's an image. It's a metaphor. The church or Christ is like the body, but it's a purposeful one, and it brings to light three great truths. Okay? Listen very carefully. Three great truths about the nature of the Christian life and the nature of the Christian church. Here they are. First one. In Christ, and when you see the word Christ in this sermon, you can even think church, because that's the game he's playing with you, right? To be in Christ is to be in the church. It's the body of Christ. To be in Christ, you have a new identity, okay? You may not realize it. You may not think about it a lot, but you've been given a new identity. Maybe marriage is a good analogy, right? Those of you who got married. Now, you probably didn't feel all that different the next day, you know, maybe you, maybe, maybe you had a new last name. You know, maybe certain things change. You don't really feel radically different, but everything has radically changed. It's all the more so here. In Christ, in the church, you've been given a new identity. What he said just in the two verses we read, people in this congregation came from very different backgrounds, right? Socioeconomic backgrounds, religious backgrounds, racial backgrounds. He says here, he's making a point, so as to form one body. Now, dash, whether Jews or Gentiles, okay? That's just two small words for you and me. It was a massive divide in the ancient world. Whether Jews or slave or free, probably a third of the entire Roman Empire were slaves, and they didn't hang around with people who were not slaves. There's another parallel verse in Colossians. He says, or barbarians, or Scythians, right? He's using the same language. Barbarians, that's a word that doesn't make a lot of sense to us. We, we, we associate, I don't know, whatever with it, you know, Game of Thrones or something, I don't know. But barbarians were people that were um, completely alien to the Greek Hellenistic culture. And he, Paul's just trying to make a point. He says, listen, when the church of Jesus Christ came together, these were people were from very, very different backgrounds. Today, the 21st century, we talk a lot in our culture, even now, last, you know, 10 years, but more, of course, about the racism in our society, okay? It's a, it's a, it's a problem that hasn't gone away. About classism. What is classism? The haves and the have-nots. Remember Occupy Wall Street? Seems like a long time ago. Okay, The haves and the have-nots. We talk about these kind of divisions and they are real. But let me say something. They're tenfold in the ancient world. So we got a long way to go. We've come a long way, baby. Okay, But they were tenfold. And what Paul is saying is in a culture that was massively divided racially, by class, by money, by education, 
by, you know, the haves and the have-nots. This group of people came together here and now by, because they were all baptized, talking about this congregation, by one spirit, and they were all given one spirit to drink. In other words, Christians, what does that mean? To be baptized by one spirit, to have one spirit. They are, when you become a Christian, you are immersed in a new realm. Okay? That's what it means to be in Christ. You, are, you don't really know it. You know, it's not something you can see with the naked eye. But you have been immersed in a new realm. You are both in the spirit, in Christ, so to speak. And the Holy Spirit is in you. This has changed everything. Okay, that's what he's trying to say. And it doesn't mean that all of these divisions go away. We, we all have to go back to work and go back to our neighbors and go back to our offices. It doesn't mean that the world has changed. Okay? The world isn't changed until Jesus Christ comes. Then everything will be made right. The world outside hasn't changed. But for us, the old markers of identity no longer hold sway, or they shouldn't hold sway. This is a fundamental aspect of Paul's teaching about the church. Here's the big idea about the church. No one has earned their way in. I hope you get that. No one has earned their way. I don't care what your background is, whether you came from a religious household or not, whether you, you know, silver spoon or very, very poor, it doesn't matter. No one, when you understand the gospel, has earned their way in. And that love, when it captures your imagination, when it captures your heart, when it opens your eyes, it's supposed to change everything. And yes, I still live in a world where there's all kinds of division and, and classism and racism and, and the haves and the have-nots, but I've been liberated and I can come together even in this broken world and live a different kind of life. That's what the church is about. That's what makes the church attractive, or it should. If you don't, I was, I, I was here Monday night, example of this, you know, idea. In Christ, you have a new identity. Ask yourself how you're doing. I ask myself how I'm doing. Because I still have to live in a world that doesn't share that point of view. A world that the world has not been immersed into the Spirit of God. The world does not have the Holy Spirit living within it, right? You do, I do, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. But I was here a couple Monday nights ago. We had a prayer meeting. Some of you were here. It was great. And I ran into a woman who um, I hadn't seen in a little while. And uh, she's one of the most longstanding members of this church. Her name is Eileen Lindbergh. Many of you probably don't know her. And I got to see her. And the woman that was with her praying, we're in this little prayer thing, reminded me, she said, oh, you know, this week's Eileen's 94th birthday. I said, oh, that's so cute. Give her a little kiss on the cheek, and that was great, and, and we moved on. But I saw the next day, Mariella, one of our uh, leaders, one of our elders here, and I just brought up Eileen's name. She said, oh, Eileen's in my small group. I said, she is? And I thought that was so interesting because I know Mary's small group, at least two of the women in there are young moms in their 30s. I said, Eileen's in your small group? She goes, oh, yeah, she's been in our small group for a long time. And I said, you're kidding. And she said, yeah, we all just had a birthday party for her. And I said, tell me about it. That's what she said. In Christ, you have a new identity. There's no better way to start the week than with our Monday night small group. This is Mary's note to me. 
In spite of last Monday's blustery winter blast, we gathered to celebrate Eileen's 94th birthday. Following the cake, we began to talk about different kinds of gifts, those bestowed by the Holy Spirit on behalf of loving uh, and serving the body of Christ. Each one of us shared the results of the spiritual gifts assessment, Pete mentioned this a couple weeks ago, and affirmed how perfectly our gifts matched what we knew of each other. I couldn't help but think our paths would probably never have crossed if it weren't for this small group. We are different in so many ways. Our ages, 30s to 90s. Our work environments, professionals, uh, some retired, stay-at-home moms, and our political positions. But when we come together, we set, us, we set all of that aside to seek only to know and love God more deeply. We also set all of that aside when we deliver hygiene kits to World Relief, food supplies to a local school, or scientific calculators for a middle school in need because when we serve together, none of those differences matter. Okay? If you don't see the application of this truth that is in Christ, we have a new identity, the potential of, of growing in that new identity. You're not paying attention, right, to your own life and to the times in which we live. We live in a culture, a culture that is going through an identity crisis. It's unbelievable, right? A whole culture that is going through an identity. But as Christians, what Paul is saying here is we've been united with Christ. We are part, it's hard to fully grasp the meaning of it. You know, we have all, he, all he can best say is, you know, we've been baptized by one spirit. We've all been given to drink of one spirit, right? It's the best he can say. But we've been united with Christ and therefore we are free to abandon all attempts at self-creation, all attempts at self-composition. And we can rest in the fact that your identity is given to you in Christ and now, back to this small group, is affirmed by your community. Right? This is what the body of Christ is about. This is what the body of Christ is about. Okay? In Christ, you have a new identity. Second thing this passage tells us is in Christ, in the church, think of the, here the word church, we have, a new, you've been, we have a new kind of love. Very, very important. Listen to these words. You have a new kind of love. Verse 14. Even so, okay, now he's going to go from unity to diversity. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. The body is, is this unified whole, just like my body is right here, but it works together, right? Hand, feet, eyes, ears, nose, right? He's saying, same thing here. Now, even though the body is, the body is not one part, it's many. Now, if the foot, just an analogy, guys, just follow the analogy. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body, and if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Making a simple point. And if the whole body were an ear, 
Where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed, God has placed, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye, alternatively, cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, What's he talking about? Okay, use your imagination. It's pretty simple. The parts that seem to be unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. Don't overthink this. The Apostle Paul is simply extending this image, this, simple, this, this metaphor, to address two kinds of people that were in this church, and I would argue are in this church, and in every church. Who are they, uh, uh, Rob? Number one, they're the people who feel they come into this community and they're inferior. Right? Why are they inferior? Well, because of the station of life they came into. Maybe in this context, they were slaves. Now they're sitting next to rich people. Didn't used to do that. Now, or they were, uh, uh, they were people that God gave spiritual gifts to, as Pete was talking about last week. But I have the, you know, the, the less demonstrable gifts. Right? I have the mercy gift. I have the helps gift. I have the hospitality gift. I have the gifts that aren't very showy. So I say, verse 15, okay, I come into this new... Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. And because... I, and it, for that reason, won't we start being part of the body? And because I'm not an eye, end of verse 16, I am not a part of the body. Paul's saying, listen, that's, that's, that's a problem. Yes, that's the way the world thinks. But he's saying, listen, if the whole body were an eye, the more attractive part of the body, if you follow the analogy, or the whole body were a head, if we all want to be something we're not, it wouldn't be a body. The point is, in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, everyone, just as he wanted them to be. So my message, Paul's message to his congregation, mine to this one is, listen, wherever you have, you should not feel inferior. God has placed you. God has brought you here. God has given you your gifts. And whether they're showy or not doesn't matter. Get in the game because the church needs you. That's what he's trying to say. Okay? Many people come in and say, listen, I'm a foot. I want to be a hand. Get over it. Because the, 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 the hands in this body can't do very much on their own. Okay? Now, that's, that's group number one. Group number two, of course, is the people who feel superior. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head, more important perhaps, cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Does that happen? Sure it happens. But let me tell you something about the church of Jesus Christ. It's not American Idol. 
That's not how it works. And if all we had in this church or any church was people that were, had demonstrable gifts and super showy gifts and upfront gifts, we wouldn't be the church. Even this church, this day, this, this morning, just running whatever we do on a given Sunday, let me tell you something. It takes 100 people to run this ministry. From the parking lot, to the nursery, to the kids' ministry, to the people praying, to the people doing the online service, on and on and on, running all the technology. Let me tell you something. Most of those people aren't giving a sermon. But if those people weren't here, this thing wouldn't happen. Okay? The church is not American. Now listen, the world, in the world, this is expected behavior, right? This is normal for the world. It's even celebrated. When people say, you know, with false modesty, I'm not that smart, I'm not that good enough, I, I, I wish I was like so-and-so, we almost say, we, 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 we quietly bless them, they're so falsely modest. Let somebody else do it. Or, when people say things like, you know, we quietly approve when we hear people exclude other people, because we think that those people that they're excluding don't really have what it takes. We won't say amen to it, but in our heart we say amen to it. Because that's the world. See, it's normal for the world to function that way. But as members of the church of Jesus Christ, baptized by one spirit, drinking of one spirit, we're supposed to be an alternative community, a countercultural community. That's what makes the church attractive. What makes the church attractive is not this sermon, is not this music. What makes the church attractive is that people respond differently. People who usually would have nothing to do with each other come together and love each other in a way that's not happening out there. Right? It's supposed to be a counterculture. And this is not simply an idealistic aspiration but it's God's intentional design for the church. Listen very carefully, verse 24. But God has put the body together. He's talking about the church, the body of Christ. Yes, it's in one sense, it's this mysterious um, truth and in, 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 in hard to grasp. In another sense, it's, it's you and me in this room. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. God chose to do that. God's a clever guy. He can do what he wants to do. If he wants to give more honor to the foot than he does to the hand, if he wants to give more honor to the hand than he does to the head, that's his business. But he's telling you something about how he's created the body of Christ. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. When I first came to this church, um, a few many years ago, 2005-ish, um, I was here a couple years, and a woman in this church um, young mom came, was diagnosed with cancer. And she, she, uh, and for the next couple years, I mean, I'm new to this church. I, I hardly know anybody. What I witnessed was, was 
was absolutely unbelievable. I mean, I saw people come together. I mean, for this family, woman, three kids, I believe. And, you know, not just for one weekend. I mean, for the course of two or three years, they came together every week, every month, prayer meetings, fasting, people not only in this church, Christians from outside this church, many non-believers who were connected one way or the other. I just watched this movie take place for almost three years. Okay, she did eventually, it, it, it took her life. But I remember walking away from that and thinking, wow, this, this, this is an amazing place. And I don't know that I've seen a better demonstration of what the church of Jesus Christ is than that. Now, I've seen that kind of thing repeated in smaller ways over the course of many years. But guys, what I'm saying is this is what, this is what he's trying to say here. This is what makes the church unique. It's people coming together and realizing because of what God has done for you, because you have a new identity, you don't need to go to the world to get because you've been given what you really need. You and I can love each other. We can serve each other. When one part of the body suffers, all come to join it. And when that happens in very small ways and in larger ways, you, we give a message to the church say, there's a different way to live. There's a different way to be. And even though the world continues to do what the world does, and the world continues to become more and more divided, and the world becomes more and more confused, you and I should, by God's grace, stand here and say, and grow deeper and deeper in our identity, which we've been given in Jesus Christ. We can begin to deepen our appreciation for that love, and we can begin to treat each other in ways that the world never, ever even thought about doing. That's what makes the church attractive okay now it this new kind of love only grows out of a new kind of identity you've been given that identity you get it day one I became a Christian you know many years ago college student I was given that identity day one listen it takes time though as I said when I started this sermon the whole Christian life is playing catch-up right how do you play catch-up it's called discipleship okay that's what we're talking about it's discipleship that's the that's the way you play catch up you have to become a student of God's word you have to become uh, deepened and committed to his community and in breathing and out breathing you allow the gospel to change every area of your life okay a new identity is required for a new kind of love and then the last thing you see in this passage in Christ you have a newfound desire to serve. Back to the idea of gifts. Just listen to these last few verses. Verse 27. A new found desire to serve. New purpose for life. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. Right? He's making a point. Inferior folks, you're part of it. Full of yourself people, you're part of it. Okay? Get over it. You can't, you all need each other. Now each of you, each of you are, present tense, the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. Now, and God has placed, God has placed, for the third time in this passage, in the church, he's saying, why is he saying, he's saying don't, don't spend a lot of time about what part of the body you are, where you fit. God's put you there. Argue with him about it later and don't waste your life. First of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, guidance, and different kinds of tongues. Now, verse 29. 
Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Guys, you know the obvious answer to all these questions is no. This is the point he's been making. Do, is everybody a head? Is everybody a hand? Is every, of course not. Get over that and eagerly desire the good gifts. Let me tell you something about Eileen Lindbergh that many of you know, don't know and never will know. Eileen Lindbergh was involved. She's been in this church. I think she was raised in this church. In other words, she was a junior higher in this church, wait for it, 80 years ago. She's 94 years old. I know that from firsthand accounts from other people who are now mature adults who were little kids when Eileen was their leader. Eileen lived in this community. Eileen, um, when she was young, her mother died, and instead of getting married, she decided to take care of her father for many years. She never married. And she served in this church uh, through a number of different mission agencies, supported, prayed for some ministries we had earlier in the latter part of the uh, uh, 80s, 90s in the Philippines. Eileen continued to serve, including right up until delivering hygiene kits to world relief food supplies to a local scientific calculators to a middle school in the last year. My guess is Eileen Lindbergh is a foot. But let me tell you something. When it comes time to hand out the rewards in the kingdom of God, I think the vast majority of the people in this room are going to be behind her. Okay? God has called every single one of us. Now you are a part of the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Listen to these words. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? These are rhetorical questions. And if you did receive it, in other words, God gave it to you, why do you boast is that you did not? In other words, God has given you gifts. Right? doesn't matter what it is. Okay? doesn't matter. The body only works when it's serving God. The, all the parts are working together as a unified whole. Does the world work that way? No, it does not. The world has a different attitude. In every school, in every academy, in every office, it's got a different attitude, right? It's the American Idol attitude. That's the way the world works. That's, we're not going to change that, but we can change what happens here, and we can show the world a different way, okay? This is what makes the church attractive. So what's the application for us this morning. Number one, I hope, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you, you should be thinking and praying and getting feedback in your community about the gifts that you have. Put up that website, okay? Like Eileen and, and Mary's group did. Listen, the spiritual gifts test is not magic, but if you need it, take it and begin to figure out how God has made you and start serving and to this spiritual practices this week, 319, which is today, is gratitude, right? Take some time to know what you've been given. Get on your knees and thank God for what he's given 
you and get engaged in the life of this church, in the, in the ministry of the gospel. Because that's, desire them, eagerly desire the greater gifts. What Paul's saying is, listen, get in the game, right? Get in the game. Don't, it, stop saying, I, I don't have enough, I'm not as good as, I'm not as smart of, and stop saying, I've done my part, and now I'm just a spectator, right? Which some people do that too. Get in the game. Wake up. Engage. Begin serving. Begin loving. You have a new identity in Christ. Right? You have a new kind of love. And if you begin to use your gifts, you can experience a new purpose for your life. Amen? Let's pray. God and Father, thank you for uh, this time. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to Lord, each of us to take some inventory, starting with me, to know in this moment, Lord, um, help me to um, do some homework, to do some analysis, to, to do some um, evaluation of whether or not I take my sense of identity from, from you, Father, from the Spirit, from the Word of God, or, Lord, from other uh, sources in this life. Help me, Lord, to um, help us, each of us, to um, repent of our, our foolishness, repent where we need to of the ways we've been spending our time and in our cycles, trying to compare ourselves with others and just wasting time and to drink deeply of the gospel and to, and to be thankful for all that you've done and all that you've given. And whether we're a hand or a foot or an eye or a toe, whatever we are, help us, Lord, to be released into loving and serving this community and this church and this uh, world that we live in, showing them a different way. Help us to do that, Lord. Help me to do that. Help us to love um, in a way that you've designed us to love, to be the kinds of people you've designed us to be, that we might be a community, you know, kind of an alternate community in the community, an alternate city in the city, a, a, a city on a hill, Lord, that by the way we live, by the way we live and by the way we love, we say to the world, um, God is real and love is real and there's hope here. Help us to be that kind of community and I just pray for everyone in this room everyone listening to me Lord wherever we find ourselves on this divide you know I'm not good enough or I don't need anybody help us to um, Lord reorient um, our thinking and to resubmit our lives to you and to your calling for our lives to live out of your love and not for uh, the love of this world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.